and welcome back to the European Show, episode 15, New Year, same us. And to join me, as always, is Nick. So welcome back, Nick. How are you? I'm doing very well, Jack. Happy New Year. How are you doing? Happy New Year as well. I'm doing fine. So the first place we well, did, there hasn't really been a lot of football since we last recorded most of the leagues have like stopped for christmas or for the winter should i say um the only places that have really carried on is spain and italy however obviously we're not starving for like interesting stories and stuff because obviously the most interesting story in la liga with girona has kind of just taken another turn but for the better it it has but if i'm being honest it it feels like it's soured a little and i don't only say this because uh my team lost which they did um and Girona did play a good game like it it's not unreasonable for them to have won but at the end of the day it it was it there was a very scandalous penalty overlooked and that's about where you begin to feel that they're a team with money not because before it's like oh you know like they're a fairy tale team and and it's going on but here you can kind of feel like the city group kind of with with the pressure that comes with it right and because it, it, essentially what happens is Griezmann cuts in shoots on target Alex Garcia sorry um Eric Garcia has his body well away from his hand well away from his body ball smacks it fully deviates the trajectory completely it is an un- unnatural position fully in the box Stopping a goal-scoring opportunity, it is a, a textbook penalty. But anyways, it is the most textbook handball when the game was two-one to Girona's favor in the first half as well, and it's completely overlooked. And I just don't understand how how that can happen. Um, in in any case, uh, the game was dramatic, and it would have been entertaining without that. Um, it was punctuated by a lot of defensive mistakes from from both sides. Um, and it was humorous that Morata managed to score a hat-trick and still lose the game. Well, he did actually score four, but obviously one was ruled out for offside. Yeah, he, he scored four goals and one of them was ruled out for offside. But yeah, and Androna put in a, a good game and put a lot of pressure on, on, on Aleti, especially in the first half when they managed to go 3-1 up um, before Aleti drew 3-3 and then they lost in the, in the last minutes uh, to a goal by Ivan Martin in the 91st. But yeah, it it does feel like Girona's run got a little. Well, yeah, I I think it's fair to say it it's gotten soured a, a little bit. Um, but in any case, they keep pace with uh with Real Madrid on forty eight points, top to, of the table. To be, to be fair though, it's not really Girona's fault. It's a it's a refereeing issue. It, it, it's it is the refereeing, but but you don't feel like they should be there anymore. And and we did question whether they can win the big games. And this was a game where they won, and they played well enough, but they they don't they didn't really deserve it because you know literally that. Um, anyways, the other league leaders Real Madrid won against um, Mallorca. It was uh, a hard fought game. Uh, Rudiger scored um, the one nil, but Real Madrid was was just better. We haven't seen Bellingham scored in a while, but he is still playing. Uh, quite well. I think one of the main reasons why Real Madrid wasn't uh, looking as good as as they have before was um, the absence of Brahim Diaz in the starting eleven. 
once he was back in the in the team, they did began moving more smoothly, and and he actually has been uh, contributing a lot, which I guess is unexpected considering that uh, he didn't really shine that much um, before, whether he was at Real Madrid or on loan or at Man City, I guess, before his career really took off anyways. Um, other interesting results, um, Barcelona beat uh, Las Palmas. It was a, a close game in which um, Barcelona went behind uh, with a goal from Munir. Uh, this guy, funnily enough, is not a very good striker. And to be honest, he barely scores. But the only damn games he scores are the ones against Barcelona, which I think is quite impressive. This man is driven by hatred against his ex-club. But yeah, so Barcelona went down. They once again were the slow, lethargic Barcelona, um, quite uncreative that we've been seeing a lot of in the last year and a half. And you kind of see that Xavi's spark from the start of the season has kind of been fading in the end. You have to call to question what they have to do to um, to regain it. But just like last season and the last few months, Barcelona slogged the result, um, a penalty which got Daly Singraven sent off in the 91st minute. Uh, was converted by Gundogan to give Barcelona the 2-1 and complete the comeback. Uh, Ferran Torres scored the other goal and he is, I guess, slowly improving. He's never, I think, been truly standout for for Barcelona, but he does sometimes pull up pull up when, when they really need him. Um, more interestingly, Sevilla lost, as they tend to do, but it kind of shows that it doesn't matter how many times they change managers, they just always suck. Um, and it is strange seeing them in this position because, as we've commented maybe ten times since they since they're downfall, I it's it's hard to say why this is happening. Granted, they've got more mediocre managers recently, but they still have a a squad that on paper is good. That they have good players, like Lucas Ocampos has been a very good player in the past. Rafa Mir has been a very strong striker. Ramos might be old, but he still has quality. Go on. Isn't it a similar squad to, um, wasn't it two years ago, or two seasons ago, should I say, with this time, at that point, they were nearly neck and neck with, I think it was Real Madrid. It is very close to that same squad. I think uh, what's one of the main reasons that began their downfall was they lost um, their centre-back pairing of Kunde and Diego Carlos which, as we commented many times back in that time period, it was such a ridiculously solid um, defence. Nothing can get past that. Um, and those two were at their best together. And Sevilla's defence was just a wall. Um, also, Jesus Navas was at the top of his game back then. And now he's a little older. He still shines sometimes. One of the better players on this side. But uh, but it's not the same anymore. But uh, yeah, I think that's really the main difference. But yeah, otherwise, absolutely, there's, there's lots of the same players. Just they're being misused. Ocampos is still there. Suso is still there. Uh, Jesus Navas is still there, but he's older now. Um, Oliver Torres is still there. Rakitic is still there. Nianzu is still there. It's 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 so like half the squad is is the same, and you don't see it at all. Um, they also lost Bono, which I think is also very important. But Bono didn't create, I guess, which um, they've been lacking in a lot. But yeah, so they lost again against Athletic Club, and they just really suck. Um, then other results, uh, 10 men Celta Vigo beat Real Betis, surprisingly enough, uh, in dramatic fashion. Iago Aspas, uh, a long-time favourite player of mine and a veteran of La Liga, 
began scoring. Uh, nope, sorry. Uh, scored the first goal for Celta Vigo to equalize the game through a penalty. Um, and then in the 96th minute, uh, Celta Vigo dramatically won the game. And then elsewhere, uh, Sociedad drew against Alaves. It was uh, a quite a violent weekend in La Liga with four red cards. The one from Las Palmas, Celta Vigo. Um, then another one in the Sociedad game to Alex Ramiro. Um, and then a final red card, which was given in the Cadiz-Granada game to Cadiz's Ruben Sobrino. Cadiz proceeded to lose the game 2-0, by the way. Um, so yeah, that was the round of, of La Liga. Uh, elsewhere, there was the the, the Cup, uh, the Copa del Rey, which had little interesting. Um, most of the big teams qualified. Um, Barcelona... Quite, um, Barcelona scraped a 2-3 win uh, against 3rd Division Barbastro. I mean, sure, I, I don't think the players really took it seriously and they got the win and that's what matters. Um, they had a youth player in the team as well, playing left-back uh, in, in Fort. But to be fair, the rest of the squad was actually their first-team players. But anyways, um, then elsewhere, Atleti beat Lugo 3-1. Quite comfortably, um, Girona Elche 2-0, Sevilla managed to qualify 2-1. Um, the most interesting game was Villarreal being uh, knocked out against a third division team, that being Unionistas, on penalties. Um, obviously a pretty big shock for the team and for its fans, and we'll have to see what happens from that. So, so, well now I say we look at the league, uh, the recurring story has reared his head again. As again, Kylian Mbappe has been linked to Real Madrid. So the question is: Is this really going to lead to anything? As we've been here in the summer, we were here in January last year. We were here the summer before that. We are in this constant loop where it's always reported that Mbappe may join Real Madrid. Um, bearing in mind this time, it's more like he, he can talk with anyone about moving on a free. I say free. The amount of money it will take to bring Mbappe to your club is a astronomical amount. <laughs> so it's really a case of, is this just another no-go? And we're just going to have to wait until mostly closer to the summer. I, I, I think at this point, it's impossible to predict the machinations of uh, Mbappe's transfer logic. Um, when it seems he hates PSG the most, he just randomly decides to stay. Um, and then you think he's flirting with Real Madrid for forever and he just turns him down. Um, li- literally anything could happen. But to be honest, he seems more than happy at... Oh, no, he doesn't seem more than happy at PSG. He seems more than happy with the money and status at PSG. Um, if you think about it, he is the main man and he's dragging them through. Um, this season as, as we'll cover uh, later he scored two games in their last match without those two goals they wouldn't have won um, and he is the top scorer in the gun by 10 goals um, out of PSG's 42 he has scored 18 of them uh, that is 42% of PSG's goals he is their striker and no one else can touch him he is their star and he is literally just carrying them um, I, I, I don't think in any other team in any other league 
he will have this status and this domination above anyone else. Add on top of that a very nice salary and a very nice position at the club. And why why would you really want to leave? Like, sure, Real Madrid can say, we'll pay you, we'll pay you quite good as well. And yeah, you'll have fans here as well. But do you really think he can be the same absolutely monster-dominant player? At, he would be very good. He would be very good at Real Madrid. Um, but he wouldn't be the one and only. And I think that's what's mainly driving him uh, right now. He wants a, a legacy at PSG, whether we think that's irrelevant or not. It doesn't seem that he thinks that. And he seems to be sent on it. Uh, sorry, bent on it. And so I think unless PSG openly mistreats him, he'll just settle down and stay comfortable where he is now. I think we also have to look at the other aspects of it. As you said, maybe in Mbappe's mind, you know, hypothetically, PSG could win the Champions League and then you can decide at the end of it, you know what, I don't want to stay here anymore. But until that happens, in his eyes, a Champions League with PSG could be seen, one Champions League with PSG could be seen as more valuable than, let's say, two with Real Madrid because obviously PSG have never won the Champions League um, regardless of the fact that they've thrown all the money at this team um, I think it would do wonders for Mbappe to be like look I've won the Champions League by myself I haven't had to have Neymar with me or um, Messi I've done it completely by myself as well as the fact that Mbappe is from Paris and I'm not. We're not going to be like, oh, it's his hometown team. I highly doubt Mbappe was a PSG supporter when he was a child. But to win a trophy with the team that is or the prominent team in your hometown, I think, is also a contributing factor to it. And I think that is probably what's keeping him there, as well as the fact that he gets a lot of money. As well, but I think that's the main thing that's keeping him there at the moment. And I think it really comes to a choice where he looks at the situation and goes okay, realistically, is this going to happen anytime soon? Because if we're being honest, as soon as Mbappe leaves, if it's, for example, next summer, or this summer, should I say, PSG are not going to really go deep into the into the Champions League anymore, if I'm being honest. Uh, Mbappe is the main reason that they do. Um, I can see them. They'll constantly fluctuate, most likely. Well, they do that now anyway, but they, they will fluctuate between the round of 16 and quarterfinals. There are they are a an average team without Mbappe, um, so obviously that's a big incentive for PSG to throw um, the whole military budget of a small nation at him. I mean, yes, and I guess then my question is: Let's say that Mbappe chooses to to stay and become like the PSG man and cement himself as someone who has played there essentially his whole career. And just never moves away, searches for fame and glory only at PSG and only in France. Um, would you still consider him one of the greatest players of, of his generation? Once once this is all done and he retires and it's 10, 15 years from now and he's done? Or, or would you not put him in the same breath as other players who might also shine during this time period? I say it depends what he wins. You know, if he goes... Mm. So he's 25 now. He'll probably go until he's 38 or whatever. If he goes throughout this period and doesn't win a Champions League, I think you have to like 
look at him the same as like Ibrahimovic. You mm. see what Ibrahimovic has won, but the thing that's always eluded him is the Champions League. But I think with Mbappe, you have to put it into three categories. This, that, well, I've just mentioned a similar type of career to Ibrahimovic. The other one, where he goes and doesn't win any like Champions League or whatever with PSG, but performs all the time at the World Cup, which he's done now in the two World Cups that he's been at. Yeah, we, we, we are neglecting the fact that he has a World Cup that he won as a teenager, which is quite crazy because he played an important role in that as well. He could, he did have arguably or probably the greatest Champions League or the greatest World Cup final performance ever without winning the trophy as he single-handedly brought France back into the game and everyone basically remembers that one dribble he did right at the end of the game that's his big what if you know what if I think it was the Sandro Martinez didn't stop him um, it would have cemented everything and Mbappe could have literally retired I guess we'll never know yeah Mbappe could have literally retired then and people would have held him in a high manner. So there's that one. And then it's if he stays at PSG and wins several Champions Leagues. I think this is the main thing. It's the Champions Leagues. If you're not, because obviously with Liga, it's quite easy. Well, it's not easy, but when you're at a team like PSG, it's a, you know it's a more likely than Bayern Munich to win the league um, because of the financial power. It's obviously a lot harder to go do, go further and do well in the Champions League. But if he's able to win a couple with PSG, I think his, as you mentioned, his legacy is never really going to be questioned because it will show that he can do it against the big teams in the rest of the world or in the rest of Europe, especially if he continues with his World Cup performances as well, because that will show that he, no matter what he does at PSG, he's still able to do it with the big boys, should I say. Um, But... I just think moving to Real Madrid sends you to a completely different level as a player, especially if you perform at Real Madrid. Like, just look at Jude Bellingham. It's 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 a couple of months difference and one position change, and a couple of months difference, and he's gone for he's turned into suddenly the best midfielder in the world. If he's doing this at Dortmund, for example, it's not going to be it's going to be still talked about but it's not going to be talked about as much. You know, now Bellingham's, like people saying, oh, you could get win the Ballon d'Or. That doesn't happen at Dortmund. But it's like moving to the team like Real Madrid, it just takes you to a completely different level. Um, as, you, as I said, especially if you're able to perform. And if Mbappe goes to Real Madrid and performs, um, it will really cement him. One of the best in the world that he already is, but it will cement him as more of the best in the world now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I understand that. So now we'll have a break and then we'll be back with everything else.
Welcome back from our anthem break where, you know, we decided let's throw it back to last year and we've done the 2010, not the 2010, the Qatar the World Cup song. Um, so, Nick, what do you rate it out of 10? It's really bad, Jack. It's just like commercial, boring, flat garbage. It actually hurts to listen. I, I, I'm really glad I didn't hear it once during the World Cup season because I think it would have ruined the mood for me. I, I'm going to give it like a maybe even a 1 out of 10 it's so bad it's nothing like the previous World Cup songs like Waving Flag it is nothing it's just nothing Jack Um, the songs actually give you a feeling of it being a World Cup you know Um, so I will agree with you and give it a 1 so we'll look at Syria now which is the other league that has continued during the winter and it has seen Inter continue their dominance, really. Um, they, they're still unbeaten. Well, they're not unbeaten, but they are still... They had an unbeaten run. They beat Lazio just before Christmas. Then they beat Lecce. They drew with Genoa, but then beat Hellas Verona with a late um, winner. So they have had some pretty shaky results as of late but they do remain two points clear ahead of Juventus who themselves have continued to have a strong run um, an unbeaten run in fact since late September and they are both or Juventus in fact are seven points clear of Milan in third Fiorentina have moved up to fourth or Bologna are in fifth but the surprise, should I say, team of all of this is Napoli, who currently sit in ninth. Because they suck. Yeah, they've they haven't won. I say they haven't won since they haven't won since last year. Um, they haven't won since mid December. They've lost in, quite convincingly in the Coppa Italia um, to Frosinone, which is their record loss at home since Diego Maradona was in the team um, then they lost to Roma 2-0 Napoli they then why did I say that they then drew with Monza and then at the weekend they lost 3-0 to Torino so they're struggling and I am pretty sure we can make the argument that it's because they lost Kim Min Jae but I don't think one defensive loss of loss of one defensive player Complete, completely ruins your team. I think this is mainly the fact that they, realistically, Spalletti was probably making up this team play better than they actually are. And since you got in a below-average coach... They, they, they definitely were. I, we, we covered that multiple times. Like Especially in the midfield, they have a bunch of players that were normal midfielders in their older teams and in their old leagues. Um... Like Lobotka and Zambo and Giso, I believe both played in Liga. Lobotka definitely played for Celta Vigo. And he wasn't a bad player but by any means, but he was quite ordinary. You wouldn't be like, this is a league winning player. But basically, Spalletti had the capacity um, to turn this group of players into more than they are and to be able to like use the tools at his disposal um, and the unique qualities of each player to like always outplay his opponents. Um... And when uh, opponents began figuring out how to like neutralize them and how to stop themselves getting overrun, um, they began to kind of 
well, Napoli stopped being able to to win as easily because they didn't have as much individual quality to overcome like equally good opponents, shall we say. And we saw that in the Champions League where they got bodied by Milan in the semi-final. Um, and then they had a very start-stop run of uh, games towards the last two months, shall we say, maybe three months. Uh, and now without Spalletti, we see that without his intelligence to kind of keep reinventing the players and getting the best out of them with, with position switches and tactics and everything, they, they kind of go back to being a set of ordinary players, which is a bit unfortunate to see. Obviously, think as well, this didn't help that they appointed Vidi Garcia as Spalletti's um, replacement, because obviously Garcia is quite... He's not ideal as a manager. And then Matarazzi just came in. There was like a brief improvement under him. But then they've kind of regressed back to where they were beforehand. Um, so you could make the argument of could should Napoli have signed Conte um, when they had the opportunity to, opportunity to do so? Could they try and get him again in the summer? Um I, I think the answer is undoubtedly because yes. Because if we look at... It, after coming off a title-winning season with Spalletti and you looked at the array of managers that are available, there's not really that many who can really take you even further. The only ones that... especially like It's like Napoli signed Angelotti and it didn't work out. and so the only ones that you can really go for is like Conte or if you want to try your luck maybe to Zerbi at Nap- at uh, Brighton I mean so yeah um, whether Napoli can actually turn this around and actually win or actually qualify for Europe is yet to be seen so to finish off this shorter episode as usual, than usual because there's not really that much football going on well, we'll look at the Bundesliga, where the biggest talking point, really, over the winter break has been Edin Terzic. Um, so, after Dortmund drew 1-1 with relegation-threatened Mainz, um, bearing in mind this is the second time now <laughs> that Mainz have um, screwed Dortmund over in a year. Last time it happened was the 27th of May. Um, when they obviously lost the title. And the effects of that are still being felt today. So after that Mainz game, Dortmund had a bit of an analysis meeting to look at the first half of the season. You know, what could they do to improve? Um, Yes, Terzic qualified for the Champions League out of a very tough group. But Dortmund looks at this league form and were like, you know what, this is good enough. And they've kept Terzic on for the rest of the season well not for the rest of the season for the time being but what was decided on this meeting was that Terzic needs help you know he needs an actual competent footballing coach something that several players at Dortmund believe Terzic is not and so it's in an attempt to bridge to get this reported gap between the manager and the players Terzic brings in several former players as former midfielder Yuri Sahin and midfielder slash defender Sven Bender 
both came back to Dortmund as both as assistant coaches. Um, but Sahin is more of like the tactical mind behind it all and, and Bender's more of the um, vibes, should I say. Um, and so what came out of Dortmund's initial training sessions in their winter break was that Sahin is doing the majority of what you would expect a manager to do and Bender has his role as the assistant manager. He's a lot there. He's there for morale and motivation. Whereas Edin Terzik's standing around not doing anything. Uh, you can make the argument that Terzik just wants to see what Sahin and Bender can do. Realistically, though, this uh, these appointments smell fishy to me. As in, I believe that Sahin and Bender can smell blood. I think they looked at the situation that Terzik is in and think he's actually quite, it's unstable, his position as manager. And I'm pretty sure in negotiations, when trying to sign them, I wouldn't be surprised if like Sebastian Kell said to them, okay, we're going to give you this role. We know it's a, a demotion for Sahin, but if Terzik gets sacked, you're going to be promoted to interim boss. And if you do well, you may have the opportunity to become permanent manager because Sahin had a, a decent job in Turkey and Bender was assistant manager of um, the Germany under 17 team and so yeah, both it doesn't really make sense to me of why they would give up those roles especially Sahin to come back and, and be an assistant to someone who basically actually has as much managerial experience as him because if you look at their resumes Sahin and Terzik have only been at one club each. Albeit, yes, Terzik's has been at Dortmund and Sahin's was at Antalya Spore, but one's actually quite a tactician. The other just is there because he's a Dortmund fan. And I think Dortmund, this whole situation with Dortmund's manager is really fucked up. Um, they're stuck with Terzik now. Obviously, if they sack him in March, let's say, and they bring in Sahin, they're going to have to have Sahin until May. He's going to have to do show that he's going to can do something on the pitch. But it's it's not just that. You need the managers to take the players to a next level. And as we mentioned with Napoli, there's not that many world-class managers available at the moment, especially if you're Dortmund. However, there's one man who, if, obviously, the Bundesliga is quite weird and they only like to hire German managers for whatever reason. So you see the same managers coming and going time and time again. There's a top tier of German managers. It's Jürgen Klopp. Okay. It's a top tier split into two. Jürgen Klopp is number one. I think that's undoubtable. And then the second tier, you have Thomas Tuchel and Julian Nagelsmann. Obviously, Nagelsmann's currently in the Germany job. So, hypothetically, Germany suck at the at the Euros. Nagelsmann's not going to be kept on as Germany manager. He's going to want another shot at club management. It just makes sense. For, especially Nagelsmann to have like his revenge tour at Dortmund. Because it would be a massive kick in the teeth for Bayern. He can turn Dortmund around into this superpower, should I say, which he's done with Leipzig and which he has kind of did with Bayern. Well, not really, but... Um, 
and it's something that Dortmund need. They haven't had like they've had Nick Klopp, Tuchel, Nagas. Tuchel wasn't as good as Klopp at Dortmund, but no one has been. Um, so it just if Dortmund want to reach this level again, Nagelsmann's the only logical situation. So what I'm trying to get that in, what Vatska has kind of screwed himself over, but he probably planned this as a way. That's why he hired Nagelsmann as a Germany coach, because that means there'll be no talk about Nagelsmann taking over Terzic, so that means he can keep Terzic, who's his friend, in charge. But now he's kind of fucked, because Terzic's a terrible manager. And it gets even more weird at Dortmund, as they've decided to re-sign Jadon Sancho on loan. Sancho's been exiled from Manchester United now since August. And so Dortmund looked at their situation and thought, you know what, let's bring Sancho back. We need a problematic to, to add player on to our in here. Underperforming wingers and just our underperforming attack. So now Dortmund will have to get a match. So Dortmund's first game is on Sunday. Jaden Sancho is not going to play that. I highly doubt Jaden Sancho is at all close to match fitness. So hypothetically, you're looking at Sancho coming back at the end of January, the beginning of February. And then you're hoping that he can actually. It, they're banking off that he reaches the same heights that he did in the, his first time that he was at Dortmund. And that's going to be very difficult. And it's especially bad for Daniel Marlon, who has been who's been crap since he joined Dortmund to replace Sancho. He's now gonna have his place taken by Sancho if he performs. And so it kind of makes you think what's Marlon gonna do with his future because he can't move to like a top team because he hasn't shown he's capable of doing it. Finally Big knock by Leverkusen with Victor Boniface going to be out to April with an injury. Um, they were going to miss him for a couple of weeks because of the Africa Cup of Nations, but now he'd be out for a lot longer, which is a big miss and a big issue because Boniface has been one of the reasons that Leverkusen are top. Whether Leverkusen buy an extra striker in the winter is unknown, but they do have Patrick Schick who made his return from injury just before the in- Winter bake and did score a hat trick against um, Bochum. So if Schick reaches his form that he did two years ago or two seasons ago, then Leverkusen would mm, carry on where they left off and they won't really miss Bonnevay. So that is it for today. Thank you for listening. Please like us, follow us, subscribe, and we'll be back next week. Thank you very much, and we will see you later. Mm-hmm.